0: for those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-ministers here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. And this is that time every Sunday when I break the rules by making announcements, even though we don't have announcements. So these are not announcements. We don't do that. They're boring. They're a waste of time. But if we did do announcements, I might say that if you're new here, we would love to connect with you. And you can grab a card right in front of you in the pew back. It looks just like this. And if you're interested in this place, interested in connecting more with what we're doing, just fill this out, pop it in that little offering box at the back of the sanctuary, and we will connect with you. Or if you're fancier than me, you can scan the QR code that's on here. Later, somebody can explain to me what that is and uh, fill that little thing out online. Also, a couple things that I want you to know about. The first is we have a new class starting next week. It's called the Belonging class. It's A New thing here, but it really is a new version of an old thing So the belonging class is who are we? What do we believe? What are we all about? What matters most in this place? How do we lead that sort of thing if you have taken the roots class in the past? This is like the new version of that So if you've taken the roots class, you don't have to take the belonging class, although There's some new stuff in the back half of the belonging class. So if you want, you could take like the last three weeks if that makes sense, right? Like the first three weeks are really an updated version of roots. And then the last three weeks we get more into how we lead and how we lead in a way that we think is more ethical than maybe in some other spaces we have all been a part of before. So if that's of interest to you, uh, that starts next Sunday at five o'clock. It's on Zoom. You can sign up online, oceansidesanctuary.org. And then also next week is our monthly pancake breakfast, so you don't want to miss that. All right, that's the end of the non-announcements. We've been going through a... Oh, yeah, yeah, we have more. Yeah. Replacing roots, or will roots still... Great question. Belonging is replacing roots, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying to trick you into taking the class over again is the thing not really but yeah okay so we've been in the middle of a teaching series lately we've called unlikely heroes we're wrapping that up next week Uh, but today i wanted to jump in with our second to last installment from the book of daniel if you have a bible you can turn to daniel and we'll read through it together otherwise we're going to put the passage up here on the screen it's daniel chapter 3 verses 19 through 30. But before we do that, perhaps you could just say a prayer with me briefly. God, we thank you for today, for this opportunity for us to come together, for this space in downtown Oceanside, for all the things that this space allows us to do in the community to help meet needs here, for the way that this space gives us an opportunity to gather, to set aside a little bit of time, each week to be challenged and stretched, uh, to get quiet and loud and pray and be silent and all the things that we do here to cultivate our hearts in order to be the kinds of people that you've created us to be. We thank you for this time and this place, and we ask that as we read through this passage today that you'd spark our imagination in a new way. And we'd think differently about ourselves and you and this world. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have a decent-sized chunk of Scripture here today. So I'm going to read it to you first, right? So we're going to read through it all. And then I'm going to offer you just some of the things that I'm noticing. And then as usual, lately, what we've been doing, some of you know this, some of you don't, uh, we've been doing a Praxis kind of series. So I'll do the teaching and then afterwards, Janelle will come up and lead us in a spiritual practice. The intention of this is that we would be a bit more embodied in how we're learning to live out our faith. So Daniel chapter three, starting in verse 19 says this. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. Okay, quick little catch up, this is a little, narrative from daniel you're probably familiar with this story shadrach meshach and abednego were like mid-level managers in nebuchadnezzar's kingdom they happened to be ethnically jewish living in a foreign culture this is after the 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 jews were carried off in exile into babylon and during that time the jewish people they become integrated into the culture in babylon many of them of course become uh People who are working within the regime so to speak right so Shadrach Meshach and Abednego are like officials in the Empire what happens right before this is Nebuchadnezzar makes it illegal for anybody to worship any gods other than the Babylonian gods this becomes a problem for everybody in the Empire who is ethnically other which Shadrach Meshach and Abednego are they are Jewish And so they are convinced by their faith, by their commitments that they can't comply with this order. So they refuse. And this causes a big problem for Nebuchadnezzar because he is the king. And of course, the real problem is that by not complying, Nebuchadnezzar would appear to not actually be in charge. And some of you, if you have kids, know exactly what this is like. You think you're in charge, until you ask your child to do something and they've reached that delightful age where they understand the word no, and they say no, and the first thing that happens to you is like Nebuchadnezzar, your face becomes distorted because you are confronted with the the shortcomings of your power. You realize that power can be challenged and that can be infuriating, especially from a cute little creature that, you helped to make. Okay, anyway, I feel like I'm processing my trauma now. <laughs> so that's the backstory. That's what's going on here. Nebuchadnezzar is angry because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not comply. And his face was distorted, and he ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary. And he ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. And then the king nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly and he said to his counselors was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire and they answered the king true o king and he replied but i see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire and they are not hurt and the fourth has the appearance of a god nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and shed shadrach meshach and abednego servants of the Most High God come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. Had not had any power over the bodies of those men. And the hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, not even the smell of fire came from them. You can smell it, can't you? This is such a wonderfully told story. All of these details are intentional. The author is trying to draw you in to the drama of this while making a point about power. And if you can imagine that unsinged hair and you can smell that smell of fire then you are being sucked in to the bigger point here and nebuchadnezzar said verse 28 blessed be the god of shadrach meshach and abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him they obeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own therefore i make a decree any people nation or language that utters blasphemy against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Yikes. Maybe you should have asked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego what they wanted here. And then their houses will be laid in ruins for there's no other God who's able to deliver in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This story is very similar in many respects. You might remember if you were around for this to uh, the story that we read of Esther a few weeks ago. It's a kind of a dramatization of a historical event that may or may not have happened. The truth is, is this was written much later than the exile into Babylon. It was written much later than that. Um, but it does serve an incredibly important purpose in the Hebrew Bible, and then for us as Christians as well. It tells this incredible story of the power of, of resistance. a Couple things that I'm noticing. The first is is that this is a story of political resistance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are disempowered ethnic minorities who have been called to relinquish their culture, their ethnicity, their identity, and they have stood up and said no. They're using what little power they have to resist a bigger, more oppressive expression of power. And the power that they have, I love the way it it characterizes this in the story, is the power of their bodies. They have the ability to give their bodies up to an unjust command from the empire. And so they do. This is an early form of resistance, much like the kinds of civil disobedience that we saw in the civil rights era in the United States, which is a form of protest that Martin Luther King learned from Bayard Rustin, who was an earlier civil rights leader in the United States, a black gay American who learned his civil rights resistance directly from Gandhi and Gandhi's leaders. And Gandhi, by the way, learned that civil disobedience largely from jesus gandhi who once said i like jesus i just don't like jesus's followers because they're not much like jesus ouch but what's happening here is the power of resistance frederick Douglass famously said that power concedes nothing without a demand it never did and it never will And if power is on the wrong side of morality, if power is on the wrong side of what is good and right and true and ethical, it will never give up that position unless somebody is willing to stand up and resist it with their bodies. For many of us, that's the most power we have, what we do with our bodies. And of course, that makes it extraordinarily costly. Because who wants to give up their body? Who wants to stand in a place where they might be exterminated or beaten or bloodied? Much less have their reputations trashed or their political aspirations dashed or their businesses falter because they're on the unpopular side of a particular issue. For many of us, our bodies, are the most power that we have available to us. This, by the way, is not the same thing as having a martyr complex, which as Christians, we are awfully good at. I don't know if you've noticed, but political resistance is not the same thing, for example, as standing against the, quote, unquote, oppression of public health laws that suggest vaccinations in the time of a global pandemic. It is not, hey, just my political opinion. If you're taking notes, you can just write in the side, Jason's political opinions inserted here. It's just my opinion. But standing against the government's desire to make sure that people are vaccinated and therefore safely protected from a global pandemic that is killing millions of people is not resistance to oppression. Standing against that is not resistance to oppression. That is a martyr complex that is seeking to prop up privilege. Resistance to oppression is more like standing against border policies by the US government that separate children from their parents and put them in cages. That is genuine oppression. It's curious to me that so many churches during the pandemic lined up against public health regulations but have been silent about children separated from their parents. Putting our bodies on the line for what matters is costly. And the second thing I notice here that's related to that is we see this as a power in solidarity. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't just stand against injustice or oppression. In their case, they stand together. And this, by the way, I think is what makes them unlikely heroes of the faith. They have everything to lose as mid-level bureaucrats in the empire. And of course, they are terrified. So what they do is they join together. They stand together in their solidarity against this particular form of oppression. Now for them, that might've been more natural because they belong to a culture that was highly communitarian. But for us, the notion of standing with each other in the midst of our suffering can be heroic because in our highly individualized culture that fantasizes that we all should be an ultimate power unto ourselves, admitting that we need each other is hard. You need each other. I need you. Janelle doesn't need me, she's totally fine. But but I definitely need her. Humans are social creatures. We're social animals. We are made to be together. We're made to be in relationship with each other. We're made to be there for each other. In an attempt to prove back in the 19th century that language was inherent to human beings, that we could all learn language entirely on our own, a group of babies were raised entirely without human linguistic contact. They were raised in isolation. They were placed in rooms, alone. and The only human contact they received was for somebody to bring them a meal and somebody to clean up after them. No words were spoken to these children. The purpose of this was to prove that they would spontaneously begin to speak. You all know what happened. They did not speak because language is the expression of our social biological function. But not only did they not learn to speak, they died. It's not just that human contact, social contact is nice. It's not just that it makes us happier. It's not just that it helps us to procreate. Human social contact is a biological necessity. Without human touch and comfort and love and belonging, we die. We die. Solidarity isn't just a political strategy, it is survival. More so for some than for others. But at the end of the day, for all of us, we need each other. This is for somebody like me, who is deeply, fundamentally an introvert. I swear to you, I am an introvert. For somebody like me, this is both the best and the worst thing about being human. that I need other people. Some of you know that uh, this church has been very involved in the effort to uh, help asylum seekers find their sponsors in the United States. So for the past two and a half weeks, we've been deeply engaged, especially Victoria, especially Janelle, uh, deeply engaged in trying to connect asylum seekers who are being dropped at Oceanside Transit Center, just three blocks from here, to the tune of about 100 asylum seekers a day they're being dumped there by border patrol every single day. And, and there's a whole coalition of nonprofits who are trying to get them to their sponsors. And so a couple of days this past week, this has been an emergency shelter for them to sleep in because the city has called us and said, hey, can you help? And of course, uh, we have to put our money where our mouth is. And we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. So here we are helping. And we've asked some of you to help as well. Uh, the other night we had uh, one of those emergency shelters operating, and what's really amazing about this is we got about a dozen asylum seekers in. They all have phones, right? And they all speak a different language, uh, right? So some of them speak Arabic, some of them speak Mandarin, some of them speak Senegalese. Some of them, uh, they're, they're just literally from everywhere. Some of them speak Spanish, uh, and I, I only speak English, right? Uh, so, so they're all carrying phones. They all have Google Translate. We talk to each other through Google Translate. It's amazing. And so as people are coming in, they're coming up with their phones. They like lead with their phones. They come up and they're like, and they show you the message that they've spoken into it in English. And it says, hi, I'm trying to connect with my you know, family who's in Seattle, can you help? Hi, I'm trying to connect with my friends who are from Washington DC, can you help? One guy came up to me, shoved his phone in my face and it said, I haven't had a cigarette in two, two days, can you help? And I, I, look, I read it and I looked at him like, seriously? And he said, Please, please, two days, he said in English. He knew how to say two days, two days. I said, Okay, just wait here. So I walked up the street to Circle K. By the way, FYI, if anybody needs to know, Circle K right up the street, two blocks up the street, you can get Marlboro Reds right there all day long. I bought him a pack of Marlboro Reds. I got back, oh, he was so excited, right? He took his cigarettes, thank you, thank you, thank you. He opened it up, he tore it open, he went outside, and uh, he went up to the top of our ramp over here, started smoking, I went up there and started talking to him. And then uh, Janelle came bursting through the door at the bottom of the ramp with Lee. Lee, who's from China, speaks Mandarin. Lee opens the door with Janelle. Janelle said, hey, you guys have cigarettes up there? We have another one. (laughs) Idumu, my friend Idumu, at the top of the ramp, he looked down, he said, Lee, come on. Two days they spent together in a detention center at the border, and they loved each other already. Li from China and Idumu from Mauritania. Idumu who fled to the United States because he fell in love with a girl, I kid you not, from the wrong tribe. And the leaders of that tribe tracked him down and they beat him. And threatened to kill him, so his parents mortgaged their home to send him to the United States. It's like Shakespeare, right? But Lee and Idumu, they formed a kind of solidarity with each other. And now I am in charge of the Ministry of Cigarettes at the Oceanside Sanctuary. The last thing that I notice in this passage is not just the power of resistance and the power of solidarity, but also the power of. Wait for it, I know this is a progressive church. Can I just prepare you? This is a trigger warning. I'm about to talk about religion. I also notice in this passage the power of spirituality. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their religious tradition is a deep source of strength for their ability to stand for what is morally and ethically right. Too often today, that's not true. Too often today, to be a part of a church, to be a part of a religious tradition, does not mean that your spirituality gives you the strength that you need to stand up to oppression. Instead, it gives you the strength that you need to kowtow to the empire and become chaplains to power. To seek to be aligned with that power so that you can benefit from it. We see this throughout scripture. This is how religion is supposed to work. It's supposed to give us a deep connection to a sense of what is good and right and true. A deep and abiding awareness of the reality of something good and beautiful at work in the world that we cannot explain. I saw a great quote this week and I wish I could remember who said it, so I apologize for cribbing, but went something like this, prayer is an awakening to the awareness of the transcendent good in the world. Now what if that's true? What if that's true? Like, What if it's true that prayer is not your opportunity to just ask for God for the laundry list of things that you want to live a more comfortable life? What if prayer is you awakening to the idea that what is good and right and true and lovely and beautiful and just exists in spite of you, and that by just turning your attention to it, you can be filled with that goodness, and then strengthened to stand. Listen, I know how this works. I have Netflix. Most of the time when I'm struggling, I just turn on Netflix because of the DM to writer's strike, like there hasn't been anything good for a long time. Our tendency to run to entertainment or food or sex or self-righteousness is just a replacement for what we're supposed to get when we turn our attention to that transcendent goodness. And don't get me wrong, like don't stop watching Netflix. I mean, you know, art is good. And art is its own source of transcendent connection to God. That's a whole nother teaching series. But everything, all of those things, entertainment, food, sex, cigarettes, whatever, can also be a replacement for that sense of connection to divine transcendence. This, I think, is... Just one of the things we learned from this passage. I wanna ask you to reflect on this and I'm gonna invite Janelle to come up and lead us in a spiritual practice.